Good morning, New Morning Life family. And I am excited on this Valentine's Day to bring you a word from the Lord. Yes, it's Valentine's Day. And whether you have a Valentine or not, you are loved. And I just want to let you know from New Morning Life Baptist Church, Pastor Charles Hamilton loves you. Hopefully everybody in this congregation loves each other and loves you. And you should always know that the love of Christ abounds forever through his grace in your life. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you are loved. You don't have to go out in the world searching for love. You don't have to settle, settle for subpar love. You don't have to do anything to find love because you are already loved. And I just want to let you know, happy Valentine's Day on this Sunday morning. Amen. So brothers and sisters, I want to jump right into it. This sermon is not specifically about uh, love and Valentine's Day. This sermon specifically is about the season of Lent. Remember, I talked to you all about how at New Morning Life Baptist Church, here what you're going to get are sermons that follow the Christian calendar for the most part. Sometimes through divine revelation and intervention, I'll preach something that doesn't follow the, the calendar every now and then. But we are now coming up to our season of Lent this coming Wednesday will be the beginning of Ash Wednesday, which is the beginning of the Lent season or the season of Lent. In this sermon, I want to highlight some of those key points and begin to teach us as a congregation and viewers that are tuning in for the first time what Lent is all about. So this Bible study, I will be teaching a Bible study lesson on Lent. And then hopefully from that, you will be inspired to sacrifice something, to fast in some way in order to show God that nothing is or nothing will stand between you and God's relationship, to show God that you are willing to sacrifice something that you normally spend your time doing, whether it's eating, whether it's social media, whether it's socializing on the phone or something like that, anything that you're willing to give that up to spend that time focusing on God. Amen. So turn with me to our scripture, which the season of Lent is centered around. And that is Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. Once again, that's Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Read with me. The Bible says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. Somebody say famished. Then the word tells us the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered. Mm, it's always good when Jesus answers. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen. Hold up, we're not done. Guess what? The enemy comes back. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Again, Jesus said to Satan, again it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Man, Jesus is on it. Here we go. 
But Satan comes back a third time. It says, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all of these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and to the hearing of this word. Brothers and sisters, I entitled this one, A Lesson on Lent. A Lesson on Lent. This sermon will focus on the concept of Lent. It will focus on the season we're in, the Lenting season as it will begin actually on Wednesday. You see, the word Lent in the term of the season that we're embarking upon isn't found anywhere in the Bible. However, the word fast is found throughout the Old and New Testament. You'll see further along that fasting is the practice that we observe during the season of Lent. Here we go. Despite its absence, the observation of Lent is a major part of Christianity. During Lent, we honor Jesus' 40-day and 40-night fast in the wilderness before starting his public ministry. You see, the season of Lent is defined by a 40-day period of fasting between Ash Wednesday, which is in February, and Resurrection Sunday in April. You might want to write that down. We're teaching today. Come on now. Get some pen and paper. Get your phones out, smartphones. Take some notes. Here we go. Historically, Lent was a time of preparation for candidates for baptism. It was a time of penance. For grievous sinners who were excluded from communion and were preparing for restoration. This was a time in the early church where if you were deemed as a sinner or somebody caught you sinning, you couldn't take communion. And then you were pretty much ostracized by the religious community. So during this time of Lent, these people could be restored back to the community of faith in good faith. Here we go. It says the people would receive ashes on their forehead during Ash Wednesday, on the first day of Lent, hence the name Ash Wednesday. The ash on their forehead was a reminder of humanity's sinful nature and the necessity of purification and grace from God. Brothers and sisters, the season of Lent is manifest in the word of Psalm 58, verses 10 through 13, that says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and a renewed and steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Brothers and sisters, the season of Lent teaches believers the spiritual discipline and humility needed to be effective Christians. You see, fasting indicates sacrifice is foundational for a general relationship with God. Hold on, let me 
define fasting because I don't want you to miss it. Add this to your notes. Fasting is to abstain from food or drink or both for health, ritualistic, religious, or ethical purposes. Once again, fasting is to abstain from food or drink or both for health reasons, for ritualistic reasons, for religious reasons, or ethical reasons to pursue a purpose. You see, brothers and sisters, fasting, that was the general definition, isn't only subject to food. In the 21st century, we have now added into our, 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 our catalog of fasting social media. Some people add talking on the phone. Some people add watching TV, right? Some people add going out, socializing. Some people add drinking. Some people go as far as to do Daniel fast. They, they do all types of different fasts. And there are different versions of fasting where you can do fasting for a whole day where you only drink water. Or you can do something called intermittent fasting where you only eat one time a day. Brothers and sisters, fasting is an age-old type of practice that many religions use in order to seek higher spiritual knowledge or deeper connection with their deity. And brothers and sisters, during the season of Lent, we seek deeper connection with our deity, which is God. We seek, seek deeper spiritual connection and purification from a world and life of sin. Brothers and sisters, we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, focusing on Jesus who is fasting and Jesus who is tempted in the wilderness. This displays the necessity for spiritual discipline even for Jesus. So brothers and sisters, if there's a necessity for spiritual discipline for someone as holy, and someone as righteous as Jesus, what does that mean for your spiritual discipline as a believer? Brothers and sisters, let me ask that again. I said, if Jesus requires spiritual discipline before he begins his ministry, what level of spiritual discipline do you need before God can use you? See, brothers and sisters, Jesus was tested in the wilderness to reinforce personal discipline before beginning his public ministry. You see, let me say that again. I, 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 I don't want us to miss this. I said Jesus was tested in the wilderness to reinforce personal discipline, personal spiritual discipline before beginning his public ministry. So therefore... If Jesus was tested before being used by God, that means you would be most definitely tested because you also will be used by God at some point. And brothers and sisters, before any of us can truly fulfill the reason for why we've been placed on this earth, God is going to put us through some tests. And brothers and sisters, these tests aren't to harm you, but to prepare you for the task at hand. You see, the season of Lent develops spiritual discipline needed to be an effective follower of Christ. I said it before and I'm going to say it again. I said the season of Lent 
develop spiritual discipline needed to be an effective follower of Christ. You see, this makes me think of something that we have in the military called AT. That's known as annual training, AT. As a guardsman in the Army National Guard, not only do I serve one weekend out of the month, as you all know, but I also go to two-week trainings out of the year. And I know what some of you all are thinking, well, Pastor, I think you've been gone longer than two weeks. And you're right. This time last year, you all bared with me as a congregation as I was gone for three months doing officer training school. And I thank you for it. But brothers and sisters, every year, we are mandated to go to a two-week training, at the least, called annual training. These are two weeks out of the year training that are held in a field environment, meaning outside in the elements, meaning basically we're camping outside for two weeks playing war games. And brothers and sisters, we are exposed to the discomforts of the wild and the elements of nature. We are exposed to the discomfort and the wild and the elements of nature to strengthen our physical, mental, and spiritual discipline so that we can be focused enough to complete the mission at hand. You see, brothers and sisters, it's not enough to go through training one time and feel like you're ready. No, we do it every year to make sure that we have a ritualistic practice in place that reinforces our ability to be able to function under pressure. Oh yes, it's all fine and dandy to be able to do good, to be able to believe and do well while things are going wrong, but the true test of your faith, the true test of your belief is how long you can hold on in times of discomfort. Dr. King said the ultimate measure of a man isn't where he stands in times of convenience and con in times of convenience, but the ultimate measure of a person is where they stand in times of calamity and controversy. And brothers and sisters, that's what annual training does for us. It, it tests our ability to be able to withstand hardship and find comfort in the midst of discomfort. Some of you all can remember through Bible study, I talked about when I go through this training, we have more senior soldiers that tell us about the three enemies. Some of you all know where I'm going. The three enemies is the enemy of the mind, the enemy of the environment, and then the actual enemy in which we're fighting. Somebody's taking notes on the other end. Watch this. The enemy of the mind. The enemy of the environment. And the enemy that we're actually fighting. Brothers and sisters, as it pertains to your life, you don't have to be a soldier for this to hit home. You still have an enemy of the mind. And the mind can play tricks on you. The mind can tell you you're not good enough. The mind can make a situation worse than what it is. You know about that enemy of the mind. That you have the enemy of your surroundings, your personal environment. That could be your friends. That can be your family. That can be just your colleagues at work. You understand the environment and the enemies that come with the environment. Then you have the actual enemy. In the military, those are the people we're fighting against. But in your personal life, that's the actual enemy, meaning the spiritual warfare we fight against this enemy known as Satan, known as these demons, these legions that, that, that try to antagonize us and distract us from the will and promises of God. Brothers and sisters, you all know these three enemies. Once again, that's the enemy of the mind, 
the enemy of the environment, and then the actual spiritual enemy that we combat against and fight against. And brothers and sisters, we go through this annual training in the military to be able to conquer this enemy that raises its ugly head in three different forms. And brothers and sisters, the Lent season is a form of spiritual training that should prepare you to strengthen your mind. Strengthen the attack, your, your defenses against the attack of the environment and strengthen your, 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 your spiritual strength so that you can fight against the spiritual attack of the enemy. Brothers and sisters, there's a spiritual training that we must go to or begin to incorporate in our daily lives. And what I'm submitting to you as your pastor is that you observe this time of Lent, just like we as soldiers have to observe, observe this time of annual, annual training to strengthen our mental, physical, and spiritual ability in the field. Brothers and sisters, although you may not be actual soldiers for this country, you are a spiritual soldier fighting for the Lord. And every day it's a battle in the battlefield of your spirit. Every day it's a battle in the battlefield of your mind. Every time you step outside your house, every time you wake up in the morning, there is a battle in which we're fighting from day to day. And your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against evil in the high places somewhere. I read brothers and sisters and I just want to let you know these three enemies will come at you mentally, will come at you through your environment, and will come at you spiritually. And what you need to know is that this period of fasting, this, this time period of Lent is what prepares you physically, mentally, and spiritually to be able to sustain yourself against the attack of the enemy. Brothers and sisters, we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And it focuses on Jesus' fasting and temptation in the wilderness to provide Context for the text, we, 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 we must focus on what's happening before Matthew chapter 4 and what's happening after Matthew chapter 4 so we can see exactly where Matthew chapter 4 sits in the text. You see, brothers and sisters, before Matthew chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 3, Jesus has recently been baptized by John the Baptist. Oh, yes, he's come down to the Jordan River, and John the Baptist said, I'm the one that needs to be baptized by you. I'm unworthy to even tie your sandals. I'm unworthy to even be in your presence. You should baptize me. And Jesus, remember, in the sermon I preached to you about submission, says, not even I am above the process. He doesn't say this, but he displays this with his actions. He says, let he said, let, let, let me go ahead and be baptized with you so I can fulfill my destiny and do what I'm called to do. And brothers and sisters, after he is baptized, we see that not only is he baptized, but he is confirmed or endorsed by his heavenly father. And as you can remember, the text tells us that God basically opens up the heavens and said, this is my son whom I am well pleased. And brothers and sisters, all of this happens before Jesus goes into the wilderness, before Jesus begins his 40-day fast, before Jesus is tempted by the devil. And brothers and sisters, we must add context to the text and realize that before Jesus goes on his ministry and before Jesus heals the sick, before Jesus feeds the 5,000, before Jesus resurrects 
Lazarus from the dead or Jairus' daughter from the dead, before Jesus walks on the water, before Jesus performs all sorts of exorcisms, before Jesus even recruits his disciples, before his public ministry, Jesus is tested. And brothers and sisters, I just want to remind you, before God can use you, God will test you. I'm going to say that one more time. Before God uses you, God will test you. The takeaway from this text and from the season of Lent is your spiritual connection with God must be solidified before you do anything for God. I said the takeaway from this is your spiritual connection with God must be solidified before you do anything for God. The prophetess Lauren Hill said, how you gonna win if you ain't right within? Uh-uh, come again. Somebody remembers Lauren Hill. Brothers and sisters, what I'm trying to get you to see is how you gonna go out and do God's work and you're not letting God work on you? Come on, somebody. How are you going to try to be sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost, but, 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 but you haven't taken a personal inventory of some things you're struggling with? I told you all after taking my counseling course, the one thing counselors have to do before they go into any counseling session is recognize any bias that they have in their personal life. They have to recognize any trauma that they have in their personal lives because oftentimes what will happen is if they go into a counseling session or if they go to help somebody, they'll help somebody out of their own hurts, aches, and pains. And if they have not dealt with those things, you'll be counseling and telling somebody what you wish you had done in a similar situation, not listening to what the person is actually dealing with or going through. You'll find yourself bleeding on other people that are coming to you for help. You'll find yourself exposing areas of your life that you haven't fully dealt with. And brothers and sisters, what this shows us is before we can do anything, as far as going out, making disciples, as far as going out, being this example of Christianity in our personal life, we have to do some personal work first. And that assessment comes in through being tested. And that test is often expressed and displayed in how well we can sustain ourselves in a fast, or how well we can sacrifice things in our personal life. Brothers and sisters, Satan will try to attack you using the three enemies. The enemy of the mind, the enemy of the body, the enemy of the spirit. The enemy will try to break you down, tell you you're not good enough, break you down, Break down your body. Break you down. Use your environment, family, and friends. Break you down. Offer you power. The enemy will try to tear you down. But you must be strong, steadfast, and unmovable. Come with me to verse 3. Brothers and sisters, if you can remember in verse 3, Satan tells Jesus to command the stone to become bread. Watch this. If we look at that, that means for him to command the stone to become bread, he will be breaking his fast. And Satan is testing him 
was commanding the stone to become bread because he understands that he's hungry, because he understands that his body is weak at this time. He, he understands that he's searching for nourishment. So what he's doing is testing where are you getting the source of your nourishment. I can offer that, and you have the power to change that. So why don't you go ahead and turn these stones into bread to feed yourself? But what does Jesus do? He combats what Satan says. He combats the lies of the enemy with the word of God. And brothers and sisters, that teaches us that every time the enemy tries to tell us lies, every time the enemy tries to deceive us, we must combat the enemy with the promises of God. Brothers and sisters, verse 4 says, One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what Jesus said. He said, hey, I'm hanging with you. Hey, I'm going to roll with the punches. Hey, I'm going to tell you that I'm not going to look for self-sustenance. But my only substance and nutrition comes from the word of God. Satan is trying to get him to use material things for nourishment. But Jesus turns it around and reminds him and lets him know, I know from whence my help comes from. I know from whence my nourishment comes from. And it cometh from the Lord. Brothers and sisters, he tries to trick him through appealing to his needs. Watch this. That's the first enemy. He comes through attacking the body. Here goes the mind. We go through. We go to verse number seven. Here we go. Matter of fact, before we go to verse number seven, it said verse number six, where Satan comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against stone. Uh-oh. He's appealing to the mind. Satan's trying to play mind games. He's, he's like, you're Jesus. And since Jesus, watch how cunning Satan is. Since Jesus used scripture to combat what he said in his first test, Satan came back and used scripture to now challenge him to do the wrong thing. Ah, see, see, brothers and sisters, you, we, 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 we might miss that in reading the text. The fact that Satan knows the word too. So brothers and sisters, it's not just good enough for you to know the word. You have to hide it in your heart and provide context to that word because Satan will take the word, misconstrue it, and take a promise and feed it to you as a lie. And brothers and sisters, that's why we must know as believers what the word says, what it says in context, and when people are trying to use it out of context. People, as far as false prophets, brothers and sisters, you have to be careful because the enemy knows the word just as well as you, or even better. And brothers and sisters, the enemy tells him what the word says, tells Jesus what the word says, but Jesus comes right back. Jesus comes right back and says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is the mind because now this is the battlefield of the mind because the enemy, Satan, uses scripture. The enemy, Satan, uses the logic of the fact that God's not going to kill you. You're his son. He, he's not going to let you die. You can throw yourself down and the angels will come and save you. You, you. you might as well just test it out to see how much God loves you. He, he, Jesus said, no, I'm not putting my father to the test. Brothers and sisters, what does that look like? That looks like suicide. Some people have suicidal ideations. And brothers and sisters, what I want you to see about the enemy coming and tempting 
Jesus in this text is, it didn't say the devil came with a, like a pitchfork. Didn't say he had on a costume with horns on his head. Didn't describe a person coming. Brothers and sisters, what if this Satan, what if this devil was in your own mind? Brothers and sisters, that means in his own mind, Jesus had thoughts of suicide. And in his own mind, he had to combat what he knew was in Scripture with what he knew was in Scripture. He had to combat how his mind had misconstrued a promise into a lie and bring forth another promise and bring forth another truth to show that, hey, although I know the Lord will save me if I try to commit suicide, if I try to jump down and kill myself, I also know I'm not supposed to test God. And brothers and sisters, what I'm trying to expose to you with this section, this part, that this aspect of the enemy that is in the mind is that the mind will play tricks on you. As if the mind will begin to lie to you. The mind will give you suicidal ideations to just give up and let up. The mind will, that will tell you that you're not good enough. The mind will tell you that you can't make it. The mind will tell you to let yourself fall victim to the things of this world. But you must combat the mind with the knowledge of truth. Then we calm down a little further, brothers and sisters. And the enemy comes a third time. Look at that. The three enemies. And it says in verse 8, Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, brothers and sisters, Satan is offering Jesus power. Now, brothers and sisters, Satan is offering him all the kingdoms of the world. If only he would submit. Therefore, he's saying, sell your soul to me. This is the battlefield of the spirit. And I'll give you all the desires of your heart. And that speaks to us, brothers and sisters, because I'm sure you know people that have sold their souls, sold themselves out to the devil for personal gain for personal wealth, for success. This is, this is displayed in people that will do anything to get a promotion. This is displayed for people that will do anything to get over on somebody else, betraying people, setting people up, stabbing them in the back. These are the people that will do anything for power. So Satan comes and uses these tactics through the three enemies to tempt our Satan. Brothers and sisters, this it's characteristic of Satan, and this is characteristic of not only Satan in Jesus' life, but in our personal lives, because Satan comes and appeals to us over 2,000 years later in all the same ways. And brothers and sisters, we must be ready to fight the battlefield of the body, to fight the battlefield of the mind, to fight in the battlefield of the spirit. And the best way you are able to do this is through understanding that you have to practice, that you have to go through observing some spiritual practices annually which allow you to feel the hardship of suffering so that when times get hard, you don't get going. So that when the ship starts sinking, you don't start jumping off. Brothers and sisters, going or observing this Lent season is what prepares us physically mentally and spiritually to withstand the attack of the devil. Brothers and sisters, if you're strong enough 
to give something up of the world to replace it with meditating on God or the necessity for God. What you're showing God is, Lord, I'm willing to stick with you no matter how hard it gets. Lord, I'm willing to find comfort and discomfort to hold on to you no matter how hard it gets. Brothers and sisters, the ultimate measure of a person is not where they stand in times of comfort, but where they stand in times of discomfort and controversy. And brothers and sisters, you must annually test yourself spiritually through strengthening your mental, spiritual, and physical aspect of self so that you can withstand the attack of the devil. But brothers and sisters, the problem is we often want something for nothing. Brothers and sisters, the, 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 the problem is we want relationship with God without sacrifice. But you see, the season of Lent teaches us the importance of sacrifice in being in relationship with God. That in order to be in genuine and true relationship with God, it requires some aspect of sacrifice. You see, this makes me think of very recently when I was at Best Buy. And you see, I had recently bought a TV, and you know when you're at, at Best Buy, the sales representative is going to try to sell you everything. So I just bought a TV, and to go with the TV, sales representative is trying to get me to buy a sound bar. And I said to the, the Best Buy salesperson, I said, well, why would I buy a two or $300 sound bar here when I could just get a $60 sound bar from Walmart? The Best Buy representative said, okay. Come with me. I'm going to show you something. He took me over to the $1,000 sound bar. Turned it up as high as it could go. I thought we were going to get in trouble in the store. So I could hear what the $1,000 sound bar sounded like. Then he took me over to the $400 sound bar. Turned it up all the way so I could hear what the $400 sound bar sounded like. And then he said, we don't even sell anything in here under $100. So you're going to have to go to Walmart to see if they'll even let you test out what that $50 or $60 sound bar sounds like. But he said, brother... One issue with our race of people is that we always want the best, but for the fraction of the price. And brother, you can't come and Best Buy with Walmart money. He said, brother, you can't have champagne taste with Kool-Aid money. He said, brother, if you want the best, I can show you the best, but you're going to have to pay for the best. And brothers and sisters, I'm not just talking about appliances. What I'm trying to show you is that in a relationship with God, if you want the best out of the relationship with God, you're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to give something up to show God that, 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 that God, there's nothing in this world that can separate me from your love. There's nothing in this world that distracts me or pulls me from your love. I'm willing to pay the cost in my personal life of giving up bad relationships with significant others, giving up relationships with friends, giving up my job, giving up things that I know aren't of you just so I can be in right relationship with you because I know all that I sacrifice for you, God. I'll reap back tenfold. And brothers and sisters, I'm here to remind you to let you know that anything that you give and offer to God, anything that you sacrifice to God, it's not a give and take, it's not an exchange rate, but what it does is show God that you put your trust in him not your trust in this world. Brothers and sisters, what we find 
Jesus experiencing in Matthew chapter 4 is this aspect of sacrifice. He sacrificed physically with fasting. He's sacrificed mentally with going back and forth with the devil. He's sacrificed spiritually because the devil tried to get him to sell his soul. He, he's gone through these different aspects of sacrifice. And brothers and sisters, what this aspect of sacrifice is showing us, what, what it's teaching us is that Jesus is being prepared for his ministry that's going to come throughout the rest of the book of Matthew. That before he can embark upon his ministry, he first has to go through the test. Brothers and sisters, when you go through your wilderness, it's not designed to harm you, but to strengthen you for the journey. Let me say that a different way. When you go through your personal test, it's not designed to harm you, but to strengthen you for the journey. Brothers and sisters, participating in the season of Lent develops spiritual discipline, needed to be an effective follower of Christ and be successful on the journey he set us on. You see, this season reminds us during calamity and discomfort, God's mission isn't to harm us, but to strengthen us for the journey. You see, what God wants us to do is to be able to look at all we've experienced and say, I've seen that wilderness before. Say, I've seen that test before. Brothers and sisters, childhood traumas you may have experienced, failures of marriages you may have experienced, the death of loved ones you may have experienced, the infidelity in relationships, fake friends and family, episodes of depression, all of these should be familiar wildernesses that you're just not supposed to take in isolation and once you go through it just throw that experience out of the window and forget about it. No, you're supposed to hold on to it not begrudgingly, but hold on to it to learn from it so that when you face it again, you can get over that mountain. You can get through that valley. You can climb over that gate and you can show God, hey, I trusted you back then. I'm going to trust you right now and you're going to get me through everything I need to reach my future. Brothers and sisters, God is trying to prepare you so the enemy won't destroy you with his tactics. You can remember, I always like to bring up James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, that says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The word says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And brothers and sisters, observing the season of Lent develops spiritual discipline making us mature and complete, lacking nothing in our faith or our relationship with God. I want to leave you with this small story that I would like to share with you, brothers and sisters. I, over the course of these past couple of weeks, I've been putting together a lot of furniture. And while I've been putting together furniture in the manual of how to put it together. They'll have all the measurements. They'll have all the nuts and bolts and screws and things you need. But there's one thing that I kept seeing in the directions and the measurement section and the width and diameter of all the different pieces. I saw a, a, a description of, of a number that I thought was the weight 
of the furniture once I had assembled all the pieces together. I thought that this number was, was breaking down or showing me or telling me that this is how, how much the, the, the furniture weighed. But brothers and sisters, as I kept working on the furniture and putting it together, and as I kept reading the manual, I found out that this number was how much weight the furniture could support. And I found myself thinking, when I looked at some of the different numbers, I was thinking, when would I ever put 500 pounds on this coffee table? I was thinking, when would I ever have 800 or 700 pounds in, 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 on this nightstand over here? Why, why, why would I ever need to have that much? And brothers and sisters, I don't know if it was the spirit talking to me, or maybe I was just sleepy, or it was late at night. But it was almost as if the furniture started speaking to me. And the furniture said, well, Charles, I know I'm here in your living room. I know I, I, I'm assembled and I look all nice here in your living room. And I'm fulfilling my purpose of why you bought me. And I'm, I, I, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm holding up some of the different things you have now, which may not be at the maximum weight of which I can hold. But before I got here in your living room to fulfill my purpose and my, my mission of, of, of being here in your living room, I went through a few tests back at the manufacturing office. I said, really? The, the coffee table said yes. And brothers and sisters, the coffee table proceeded to tell me that, 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 that back at manufacturing, that the coffee table had undergone several tests. Some tests tested durability, while other tests tested its structure and how much weight it could support. And brothers and sisters, the, the coffee table proceeded to explain to me that it went through several tests where more and more weight was put on it to see how much it could withstand. And periodically during this test, the, te the, the weight would be added on and taken off. And, and all of this was a part of the assessment of how much weight the coffee table could handle. And brothers and sisters, what I want to let you know, although that is just something for the coffee table, it's not only about the coffee table. Although that was a test to, 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 to find out how much the coffee table could withstand, the, the, the coffee table also told me, Charles, I know you, you may not understand why they kept testing me this way, but what I want you to see is the manufacturers realize there may be a point that you put a lot on me that I may or may not be able to support. But regardless of how much you put on me, at least on the paperwork, you'll know how much I can support. And brothers and sisters, the, the coffee table let me know it's only through being tested that it was able, that the manufacturers were able to come to the conclusion about how much it could support. And brothers and sisters, I came to let you know this Sunday morning that sometimes and oftentimes the test isn't about just putting stuff on your way, uh, on, on your personal table. The test isn't about just, just, just trying you to make you feel uncomfortable. Sometimes these tests just aren't about you going through the wilderness of calamity and, and not understanding what God is doing. These tests aren't about God putting you through trials and tribulations just for his own uh, personal amusement. The test is to see how much you can withstand and how long and how much you can support and hold on to God in the midst of hardship and controversy. Brothers and sisters, the test is what allows us to see how much we can withstand while holding on to God. And brothers and sisters, although it may be uncomfortable, although it may not feel good, thank God for the test because what it renders us is mature and complete, lacking nothing. 
And brothers and sisters, although we have tests that God gives us, what the Lenten season does for us in our belief system, what the Lenten season does for us in our spiritual practice is give us the discipline to test ourselves, to prepare ourselves before the actual test comes from God. And brothers and sisters, we sacrifice things on a yearly basis when it comes to Lent. We sacrifice things and all we go through when it comes to Lent so that we can put ourselves through an annual training so that we can be prepared for whatever comes our way to pull us and distract us from a connection with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, I'm here to encourage you on this Sunday morning that if you're going through your personal test, if you're going through your personal wilderness, it's not designed to harm you, but to strengthen you for the purpose and journey God has for you. Let me say that one more time. I said the test isn't designed to harm you, but to strengthen you for the journey and the mission God has for you. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was tested in verse, in chapter four. Jesus was tested by um, being tested by the devil in the wilderness. However, those tests is what prepared him for his ministry. Those tests is what prepared him to heal the sick and the blind. Those tests is what prepared him to be able to get up in Calvary and die for our sins. Brothers and sisters, we thank God for the test because it renders us mature and complete, lacking nothing. Brothers and sisters, I pray this message has been food for thought, and I pray this message has been food for your spirit. And what I encourage you on this Sunday morning is to reevaluate how you interpret test, reevaluate how you interpret calamity, and look at it as an opportunity to strengthen your relationship with God and an opportunity to be prepared for what God has for you. So now at this time, if you do not have a church home and you're looking for a deeper relationship with God, I pray that you would either submit yourself to the will of God and at this time give your heart, mind, body, and soul over to God so that you don't have to keep playing both sides of the fence, so that you don't have to try to rely on your own ability, but so you can rely on God's ability. And if you don't have a church home, we here do more than life after church would like to give you the love, friendship, the love, camaraderie, the love, and the teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But all we ask of you right now is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. Now the confessing with your mouth part is easy. People can say anything, talk is cheap. But the believing in your heart is a daily process. And it's a daily process that takes practice, it's a daily process that takes spiritual discipline, and it's a daily process that even I struggle with from day to day, and you will struggle with from day to day, but you have to keep fighting to hold on. And it's through these spiritual tactics that we have, such as the Lenten season, which we observe in our Christian calendar, that helps strengthen that belief in God, to truly rely on Him and stop relying on ourselves. So once again, I thank you, I appreciate you, and I love you. And as we say here at New Morning Light Baptist Church, the joy I have, the world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. I'm thankful for what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. God bless you, and may God keep you.